Welcome to another edition of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. This is Lawrence Coletti, and I'm the host for today's show. I should say co-host for today's show. Yeah, you should say that. Absolutely. And I've got our good friend Christopher Anderson joining us here. And we are from the Clio Cloud Conference here in Nashville, Tennessee. How's your visit going there, Christopher? It's, it's amazing. You know, we, we spent some time at the uh, Opry last night, and it's uh, it's been a great show. Yeah, and you're going to the after party night, right? Absolutely. Perfect. We have a lot of catching up to do, and I think I may owe you a uh, beverage of some sort. Oh, absolutely, you do. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, he says this with uh, quite a great conviction. So <laughs> we have a wonderful guest today. We have uh, Tim Parlatori uh, coming to uh, talk with us today about scaling up a law firm. And I know this is a difficult uh, concept for a lot of people. You know, they get their solo practice going, they start making enough money to feed themselves. They know at some point they have to make some hires. They know they have to make adjustments to the grow. They had this dream, this dream, Christopher, of creating their own law firm with a bunch of associates and they get to tell everybody what to do. But before <laughs> you get there, you have to scale up. So we have the perfect guest joining us today, uh, Mr. Tim Parlatori. Welcome to the show, sir. Uh, thank you. Well, so we got a, Christopher and I have a lot of questions. And Christopher, he, he's uh, the host of our regular show, Unbillable Hour. He takes a real business approach. I'm talking up here, Christopher. And so he takes a real business approach to running a lot. Treat your law firm like a business. And yep. so I think one of the hard things for attorneys is stepping back from just working super hard. Like, you know what? I want to make twice as much money. I'm going to work instead of 50 hours. I'm going to work 90 hours. They want to make more money. And so for that person that wants to scale up, I guess the first step is how do you begin the process of getting into that scalable mindset? And so let's start with the amount of work that you do on a daily basis and thinking about handing that off to somebody else. <laughs> well, you know, and that's that's exactly where I was. For many years, I was at a uh, running a solo firm and, you know, working as many hours as I could and always dreaming of having associates, just like you mentioned. And it didn't happen for me at that time. You know, I ended up going and joining a larger firm. Uh, I was there for a few years. And then when I left that, I restarted my solo practice with a specific intent to grow it. And so I overbuilt it and I focused on recruiting and everything. And so yeah, I started that just over four years ago. And today I have 30 attorneys working for me. That's amazing. So that's something that caught me when you were saying it before, yeah. which was this intent that you started yes. with an intent. And so one of the things that like caught me, so you had your solo, you went out into a larger firm and then you came back and did this. So for a listener who's sitting there with their solo practice, working you know, 60, 70 hours a week, um, is that how they have to do it? Do they have to leave and then come back? Or can you inject that intent at any time? Well, um, it really comes from having a plan and you know what I built uh, is very different from how most firms operate and so you know it started from having kind of an innovative model that would be scalable mm -hmm. I mean if, if you are just running a solo practice and you have an intention of just making it bigger you're running the rat race and you're never going to get off of you know that that wheel uh, it sounds like you're just going to scale your problems. Right, exactly. You you have to really start off from a totally different mindset. I mean, look, you can do it. And I always looked at it from the perspective of, oh, you know, if I get some really big cases and all of a sudden I can get these, you know, big six-figure retainers on cases, you know, then that's what I could use to pay an associate. Right. But really, 
it requires you to restructure the firm in a way that provides opportunities for other attorneys to do a lot of the work and provides opportunities for other attorneys you know, to originate work, uh, to do their own work, and really give them a better environment to thrive. And by giving an opportunity for the other attorneys to thrive, that is what will cause the firm to be successful and to grow. All right, so I want to ask about that structure. So yeah. you have this innovative practice model. So how is it built? You know, like how, how is the organizational structure built? And what are some of the tools that you're utilizing to create this innovative model? Sure. There are two main ingredients to my model. One is that it's entirely cloud-based. So there are no offices. I don't maintain any physical office space anywhere. And when you think about it, the single largest piece of overhead for a law firm is their office. And yet, the, the law office itself is obsolete. You know, the requirement of having one of these big fancy offices is antiquated. It's based on old technology and, and based on old values. And when you think about it, you go into one of these you know, big you know, mega firm offices and you look around and you think, the entire structure of this is built on 1950s technology mm -hmm. and 1950s yeah. value. And thinking, yeah. Yeah, because if you look just the way that it's laid out, you have on the windows, you have the offices where the, where the partners are. Just in board of that, you have the secretarial stations. In board of that, you'll have all the windowless spaces where the associates are. And that very infrastructure is based on the concept that what do lawyers look like? They look like old white men that have no clue how to type. <laughs> yeah. And that's why they all need secretaries, and they need paralegals, and they need law librarians, and they need all these people to do all these things that, quite frankly, in today, in 2022, I can do all of that by myself on my laptop on a hotspot in a diner. Yeah, but so what do you say to, I mean, the, 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 the reaction to that or the pushback is going to be, yeah, but, you know, that's all well and good. You know, we don't need it for how we practice anymore because that time has moved on. Right. But our clients expect it. Like ah. they want to see the, the they want to see the polished floor, they want to see the brass rail, they want to see the windowed that, office. That is true in two circumstances. That's true for personal injury clients who want to see you know, how much how much money you've made from taking a third of all of the judgments you've gotten. That is true of the huge, you know, publicly traded companies that are happy to spend as much as they can to make sure that they get the results. But the reality is for most clients today, they want to see all that nice, you know, mahogany table and the big view and everything. No, they don't. Because when they look at that, they think, this is why I'm being charged $1,000 an hour. I'm not being charged $1,000 an hour because that's the quality of the legal right. work. I'm being charged that because they want to maintain all these trappings of, you know, eliteness. And really, it's more about the lawyer's ego than what the clients actually want. I, I was concerned about this. When I first decided sure, sure. to give up my office, I went to my, you know, then biggest white collar client at the time. And I asked him, I said, hey, what do you think about this? And he looked at it and he, he said, let me go give you, I'll, I'll give you a call back. And he said, he said, remember the, uh, the firm that I was with before you? I said, yeah. He said, if I had gone to their office to hire them at the first meeting, I never would have hired them. He said, I hated their office. Because you go up there, it's right on Central Park in you know, New York City. You go up the elevator, you walk into a lobby the size of my house. And there's a girl at a desk and there's a couch there and they make you sit there and wait 45 minutes before you're allowed to come back and see the lawyer. 
the whole time I'm sitting there looking around saying, I'm spending over $1,000 an hour just so that they can have a lobby the size of my house. And I have not maintained a physical office in almost eight years. I have not had a single client who cares about the fact that I don't have an office. They care about the fact that they're getting good value for their dollar. They care about the fact that we win their cases. Sure. So those that say the client wants to see this, they're lying and they're saying, I want to see this and I'm going to blame the client for it. Sure, it's an ego thing. Yeah. Want to get into the uh, org chart a little bit? So you said in four year period of time you yeah. went from just you to uh, thirty associates uh, working at your firm. So no, thirty attorneys. Thirty attorneys, not, not, not associates. Okay, and, and and that's that's the answer to your next question. All right, so uh, <laughs> so they're not associates in your firm; Correct. they're attorneys. Now, what's the business relationship between you and them? They are all partners. They're all partners. Yes, yeah. The firm is a is a limited liability partnership. I probably would have preferred to make it an LLC, but for whatever reason, the state of California says thou shalt not practice law as an LLC. So in anticipation of expanding there, we did it as an LLP. But all of our attorneys are experienced. They are all partners. They are all paid on a revenue-based percentage. So every person you know, that comes here, they work, they focus on originating clients, they focus on doing the work, and then every dollar that comes in the firm gets split three ways. A piece goes to the attorney that's doing the work, a piece goes to the attorney that originated the client, and then a piece goes upstairs to cover the overhead expenses and profit. So you're lying the incentives, like exactly. the, the right structure. So how many, do you have any ancillary staff that help you out or services that uh, fill in the gaps? Oh yeah, yeah, we, we have an in-house full-time CPA uh, we have an admin. We have two people uh, doing admin. We have a marketing department. So I have a I have a videographer on staff. Oh who, wow! Who does uh, you know helps us to create video podcasts and uh, YouTube videos. Excellent. So you said you did this with some intentionality and you overbuilt it. I think were the words yeah. that you used. And is this four years ago? Yes. You said yeah. So. How did you select the technology stack that could support this? Like, like you know, like like you mentioned, most law firms have physical plant. Most law firms rely on the fact that, oh, you know what, the copiers down the hall, or um, you mentioned, you know, or there's secretaries to do this. Like, but you, there's some technology that you need to build in. Did you like choose it all up front, or have you learned as I did. it went? I did. So I was I was working for another firm at the time, and the firm that I was working with is. At the time, they were almost an AMLAW 200 firm. Now they are a member of the AMLAW 200. But they were a cloud-based law firm. Okay. And so I learned a lot from being there, but there were a lot of ways that that their, their processes could be improved upon. And so I figured out, okay, I can replicate a lot of these things and I can improve upon it. And so I did my research. I left that firm in August, and then I didn't start recruiting until December. And so I took those months to focus on building it. And so I sat down and very intentionally, you know, my wife assisted me with this, and we put together a plan. We researched all the different technologies out there. You know, Clio was the, was the technology that we chose as the backbone of the firm, uh, that we cover all the practice management, the document management, and everything else. And so between Clio and Microsoft Office, those were the two you know, main technologies needed. And then beyond that, all the attorneys can access those programs from anywhere. Right. And it, it allows them to practice, you know, really anywhere. 
So you mentioned uh, Clio and uh, Microsoft, but what were some? What are some of the other must-have services to maintain your virtual cloud-based model where you pass the value, pass the savings on to the client? Those are the big ones. I mean, everything else is is more um, ancillary. It's uh, it, certainly cybersecurity is a big one. So we do have a VPN okay. uh, that we use. Um, but yeah, as far as like yeah, PDF software, things like that. Everything else, you know, becomes very individualized based on the practice area. So, you know, for example, we have a LexisNexis account and a case text, you know, depending on which one the attorney prefers to use, if they need to use one at all. Because obviously that's just for litigators who are looking up case law. Sure. Um, you know, the corporate types don't need that. And so, you know, we've, we've plugged a whole bunch of different solutions in, which is one of the reasons why I love coming to Cleocom, because I get to go down to the floor, meet all the different vendors, and decide, okay, what tools do I want to add in this year? Yeah, I guess you mentioned like scalability was your thing. Are you still looking to scale from where you are? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so as you do that, I mean, do you, do you think, do you envision being able to scale farther off the shelf, or do you see a time when, when you're going to have to build something of your own? No. No, I think that, you know, these, these tools that exist today, work phenomenally, mm -hmm. and they are scalable. And with, with Clio, I intend, slow, methodical over the next several years, I intend to build this firm to 300 attorneys. So, and I, th I think that that's the type of uh, situation that Clio works very well for, is very scalable to that. And, you know, there's no need for me to really go out and reinvent the wheel because, yeah, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm a lawyer and an entrepreneur, but I'm not a tech guy. Right. There are very smart people out there, a lot of them here today, that that's their focus. And sure. But the thing is, what I do is I build good relationships with these companies. So, you know, Clio, I have a good relationship with them. I speak with their developers about things. You know, there are certain features that, that we talk about. And, you know, one of the features that they came out with this year, the Clio desktop app, it was something that I was talking to them during the development and providing them my input as to how I thought that would best work for us. And what they came out with was phenomenal. So instead of building my own, I'd rather build relationships with those that are building it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I have just uh, one more question, but Christopher, I want to give you a chance to ask one more question as well. And so my next question for you, Tim, is just about management. You know, you've yeah. got some moving pieces here. You've got software implementation, you've got partners, and you've got, uh, you've aligned the incentive uh, structures there. But at some point, someone's got to lead the organization. And right. so how does the management work in this purely cloud-based environment where everybody's a partner and nobody really sees each other? What do you do? Well, so first of all, they do see each other. Yeah, okay. we do. We do fair have very regular uh, meetings, like in person meetings, or well, we do just Zoom or we are. Yeah, you know, obviously the pandemic kind of knocked it down a little bit, but we are planning our first annual in person meeting. Okay, uh, for the whole firm, we do have regular uh, monthly Zoom meetings. We do have uh, smaller group meetings throughout the month. So people definitely do get to meet each other. Uh, we have you know, Microsoft Teams threads. It's actually very interesting to see how the firm has grown culturally and how much interaction there are is between the partners here. And I mean, we have partners that have gone on vacation together that have never met oh, wow. each other before. That's amazing. That's pretty funny. 
Yeah, so I, I wanted to go a different way. It's also a management question. Yeah. Um, it's funny, that we've said the word scaling up a few times. One of my favorite books um, is a book called Scaling Up by Vern Hardish. Um, and, and one of the things that he says in there is that oftentimes if we're not careful, the weakness of the business will reflect the strengths of its owner. And, uh, and you, you'd mentioned at the beginning that uh, part of what you have done to grow this is, is to enable uh, the firm to do things that you can't or don't want to do. Correct. How do you take care of the business not reflecting your strengths as one of its weaknesses? So my specialty is courtroom advocacy. Yeah, I'm, I'm a criminal lawyer, a civil litigator. I go into courtrooms and I get in big, ugly fights. I intentionally built the firm to focus on helping entrepreneurs build businesses and went out to recruit very smart corporate intellectual property uh, attorneys that would be able to handle all of those aspects, you know, employment, licensing, contracting, all of the different things that I have no clue how to do, and then build the system where the client would come to us and we could set you know, one attorney to be kind of their responsible attorney, the project manager, if you will, who would then build the team of attorneys based on the individual needs of the client of which particular mm. specialties they need. And then that one attorney will oversee the team to make sure all of their needs get met, where, where we will ensure that there's no redundancy, and in particular, no redundancy in billing, so that Ordinarily, that entrepreneur would have to go and hire a whole bunch of small firms to get all those things done, and you know there's going to be redundancy in that and inefficiencies. Right. So by doing it this way, it saves them money, and it's all within that, within that leadership system. So I, I built it for that purpose. You know, the, we do still do a lot of what I do, obviously, and that's you know kind of my challenge is always balancing how much time I'm spending managing and how much time I'm spending lawyering. But, and then I've hired other great trial attorneys that, you know, that run their own uh, litigation practices as well. Well, I could talk to Tim all day, but yeah. we are running out of time. I definitely, uh, at some point, Tim, want to follow up with you in person. But uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. And thank I want to thank Christopher Anderson for uh, uh, side-saddling with me today. It was really great to have your expertise, sir. You are a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you, Lawrence. It was a pleasure to be here, as always, and always happy to help. And lastly, and most importantly, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please rate and review us positively in your favorite podcasting app, or best yet, recommend us to a friend. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Uh-huh.